about that time, about that time, about that time, yeah, about that time. Welcome to the jungle, the Auburn men's basketball podcast. And pick it up right where Kessler left off, it's Broome with the block. Auburn men, talking Auburn men's basketball. We missed you, the jungle is already in mid-season form. No feelings, no gimmicks. Just ball. Benny Johnson in transition. Now, here's your host, Matt Donaldson and Jackson Garrett. Yeah, All right, guys, we're coming off of a nine point loss to Memphis 82, Auburn 73. Uh, we haven't had to do uh, many lost podcasts on here and, uh, we haven't really put a format together last year, so hopefully we'll put a format together this year. And uh, this time we got on Ben Young, so welcome, Ben Young. Hey, good to be here, Jackson. Uh, not good to be here after a loss, but always always a fan of being on the jungle. Yeah, so we're hoping, you know, I think we both have our ideas of why this game lost or many ideas of why we lost this game. So I think the the thing we'll start off with and maybe the dictate how we talk about this loss is, uh, Ben, what do you think is the – you know, kind of like the MVP discussion, but in the opposite direction. Uh, what is like the one stat or one kind of, uh, you know, formation or whatever, one kind of thought you have in your head right now of why we lost that game? Man, see, Jackson, I was hoping you were going to lead off because what I, I can, think process this I can. game is just about everything. Um, I, I think Memphis put together a really solid performance uh, and they beat us in almost every aspect of the game. But if I had to pin it on one stat, and I can't pin it on my free throws, I thought this team, if they could hit above 70% on the free throws, that we would be unbeatable. Well, Auburn hit 79.2% of its free throws tonight. They were 19 of 24 from the charity stripe. Fantastic at getting those points when they could. Um, it was the blocks, hmm. for sure. We had two blocks, both of which came in the final five minutes of the game. Um, we didn't get out blocked. Memphis also only had two block shots, but that seems to be so fundamental to our defensive identity that, uh, we looked lost, uh, a lot of the game on the floor defensively. We looked like we weren't, uh, switching effectively. We looked like we had a lot of guys who didn't quite know what their assignments were. Um, and Memphis really took advantage of that. What did you see? Yeah. You know, I think it was between two different stats. It was between the blocks and between the rebounds. We were dominated at rebounding also. You know, and, and those both kind of factor into this thought I was thinking during the game that we've played this bad offensively. In fact, we've played much worse offensively before. We shot 25% from three, which is really not that bad for us. But the issue was we played badly on offense, or more honestly, our average on offense while playing bad on defense. We've not played bad on defense the entire time. We got abused in the paint. We got dunked on constantly. Every time I looked up, they were running the ball on us like like they were Auburn. They were running past us, making these long passes from their own paint to the other side, dunking on us constantly. We couldn't get a single block. I could. I was shocked when I found out. I think maybe with like three minutes left in the whole game, we hadn't got a single block. And I believe Dylan Cardwell got like two blocks kind of in garbage time to get us to those two blocks. The blocks are a huge deal, and they're kind of indicative to how dominated we got in the paint. But I think the rebounds are even worse. We got doubled up on the rebounds, and they're even worse because Memphis missed a lot of shots. They The reason they put them all back is because they got so many second-chance opportunities. We had 11 offensive rebounds to their 14. Overall rebounding was 32 for Auburn. 
43 for them. And it was worse at times during the game. Like I said, it was doubled up at times. So really that's, that's my big stat. And they both kind of lead to the same place that we just got dominated defensively. We got dominated in transition, got dominated around the paint. It was really strange, you know, after we've kind of built our team on maybe we're not the best three point shooters. Maybe we're not the best offensive team, but you're not going to ever be as defensively. And we just got, punked out there they looked comfortable they looked running they looked fast they looked athletic they looked tall that's our thing (laughs) how did we get out auburned by memphis yeah i think that's the biggest takeaway is that uh they they played our game and they played it a lot better than we did and a lot of that comes from the performance of our veteran inside guys um we were hoping that was going to be a strength for this team you know we went out and got janai broom uh, to come in and play that five spot and he finished tonight with zero blocks. Um, he, and even offensively, he was pretty much a non-factor until late in that second half. He, I believe he finished the first half with only two points um, and scored nine of his points in the second half, uh, including missing a couple of really important free throws as we were trying to make a run towards the end there. Um, and yeah, six rebounds, zero blocks, two turnovers, two personal fouls, just an overall pedestrian night from a guy we expected to be one of our stars. But we also lost a ton of value tonight at our small and power forward position. Jalen Williams finishes with five points. Uh, Alan Flanagan finishes with five. Johan Treor, our five-star freshman, a complete non-factor. He took one shot from three, had one rebound, finished with zero points. Man, that... I missed a couple of games. I, I watched all the games, but I didn't get to talk about them. And, and it really doesn't impact how you watch games. If you have, you know, you have to talk about them later, but Joe Knight broom has gone from this guy. We were like, okay, this guy's going to be In fact, he might be better offensively than Walker Kessler, but he's going to be a little less on defense maybe, but he's going to be a guy we can go to in hard times to a guy that's kind of inconsistent. Okay. He's not going to bring it every game, but you're going to get some good things out of him. And he's usually always going to bring the blocks to a guy that's, three-fourths of the time, disappear. At some point, like another game or two like this, the the average will be mediocre, which is really sad because he came on so strong in those games. And I'm really hoping this isn't a projection of what he'll look like in the SEC. You know, I worry, like the biggest, one of the biggest worries I get from this loss because I, you you can lose these games early in a conference. Me and Matt got into a whole discussion about it last time about if we should play chance and Johan works I didn't care about the losses as much the issue is I want to be able to project after a loss that we got better that it's not uh you know a kind of fatal flaw that we can't fix watching a, a big athletic Memphis team run all over us made me wonder oh no we we were praising Joe Nye and chance and all these guys so much when they were playing mediocre g5 mid-major teams now they're playing Memphis and they look like this. And we're going to play a lot harder teams, a lot more athletic teams, a lot taller teams. So I just hope this is not something we project out. Yeah, if you're if you're the Auburn uh, family and Auburn basketball fans, you don't need to panic yet. Early season losses happen even to uh, big teams. And one of the biggest downfalls, I think, of last year's squad is we got away with so much. Early on, we, we, we squeezed out so many, so many close games that we should not have won that uh, we might not have gone back to the drawing board enough and changed some things that we really needed to change. And I think that was one of the most disappointing factors in tonight's loss is that it was a lot of the same issues that we've seen in some of the other games that we've managed to squeak out. We were just playing against a better team, a more disciplined team and a more athletic team. And as we look at Auburn's upcoming schedule, 
it is only going to get deeper. It is only going to get more athletic. It's only going to get longer. Um, I'm looking in here. We've got our shot chart pulled up. For those of you watching on YouTube, you can kind of check out what's going on here. Um, this right now is just the misses. And you can see Memphis forced us to go left just a ton. Um, and if you're not a basketball player, not somebody that appreciates basketball, if you're right-handed, going left is a little bit tricky. Even at the college level, you have a lot of guys that don't spend a lot of time working on their left hand. And you can just see how many misses are on that left-hand side of the paint there. Um, but more importantly, how many misses inside of two feet? This has been a problem going all the way back to last year where we could get the ball inside. And Bruce's offense is an inside-out game. But if you're missing from inside of two feet, not only is it harder to get an offensive rebound and get another look at the ball, but you got the penetration that you wanted and you didn't make them pay for it. And I think that's been a consistent theme for this team all year. We expected a guy like Janai, get him those post touches, get those easy two-point buckets. And anytime he's playing uh, on par competition, he's a non-factor. I want to give a, a small shout out to, you know, sometimes we really focus on Auburn's and Auburn basketball podcast. You know, looking at Memphis's box score over here, Kendrick Davis just blew by our guys over and over again and, and got easy points in there. I don't know who was guarding him or how that happened so consistently. He scored 27 points on us. Only two of those were threes. I mean, that was the story of the night for a lot of this, that we just got blown by constantly. I, I can't believe it from a Bruce Pearl defensive team. And, you know, we were talking about we have a, a West Coast tour coming up where we play two away games at USC and Washington. Thank God this wasn't a away game. This Atlanta game, you know, was basically a de facto home game, and we still lost by nine and looked lost out there. I would, you know, we have a lot of big, crazy away games coming up, and I'm pretty worried after seeing this performance on away. You think the, tr the defense travels, but we looked lost out there. And if, if we want to look through some of these, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, one of the few bright spots was we did see uh, a little bit of a defensive spark when we absolutely had to have it. We were around the five-minute mark left, and we put together a fairly nice string of defensive plays. The downside was we couldn't we couldn't connect on the other end. We had Janai miss a couple of free throws. Uh, we had Bruce get teed up on what definitely should have been a foul on Chris Moore, um, who was perfect from the line and would have gotten us, I think, within six at that point. Um, so we have that ability to put together a string of great defensive plays when we need a stop. But just like last year, this is still a team looking for, all right, you've gotten stop. Now, how are you going to get the points back? So anytime we find ourselves down by double digits, this is a team that doesn't seem to have a way to score in a flurry. And that's going to be a big concern, especially on the road when you don't have that crowd to get behind you. Uh, we had KD with a little bit of a hamburger moment, got the crowd fired up. And then suddenly you could see the guys, you know, Dylan Cardwell trying to pump everybody up, getting the noise going. And it did feel a little bit like it was an Auburn home game. Much like a uh, a video game where you have like a certain amount of skill level, a certain amount of like uh, magic potion or a certain level of like your special moves or whatever. KD seems to have that in the tank every game at some point. And if we get down or if we're struggling early, KD just turns on a special mode for a little bit and goes and gets us some tough points, goes and hits a three, goes and makes students a play. He did again at the end of the game to try to get us back in it. But we can't – you have to put him in the kind of situation that gets us there to that little – he only has a limited amount where he has this like – he can kind of like almost innately look around and see when the team looks a little lost, see when the team needs his little magic moments and goes and does it. And honestly, this game, he had that little defense at the end that got us going again. But at the beginning of the game, even, we were struggling, and he went out and got some tough points to keep us in this game to keep the momentum going. 
And it felt like too, at the beginning when we were struggling a bit, he knew that he needed to keep us in this game early or could get, you know, squirreling in a different direction. So shout out to KD and kind of his little magic moments of keeping us in it and hoping we can keep these games close enough to where his little magic moments are what puts us over instead of what keeps the game close. The next thing yeah, let's I'll talk about some play from our other guards. Oh no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say the same thing. We're going to talk about some of these players here. You know, if we, oh, just yeah, wanna, gonna... if we can go through the guards, if you want, uh, you know, Zep Jasper, five points, one of three, one from one of three from three. Uh, I think he hit his open three, which is always good. I, I still, you know, I think I'm about to just stop commenting on it. The experiment of Zep Jasper from an offensive weapon standpoint is is basically dead. Maybe I'll stop even bringing it up as a concept come SEC play. But, you know, you just yeah, this another night where you have these platoons and you hope someone will step up. And at this point, we our platoon is like smaller than we hoped. We hoped that a Zep Jasper at some point in the last nine games could have been one of those guys so that you could say, oh, we got 10 guys. Anybody can step up. No, we got more like seven or six that can step up. Well, and some of that's going to come to our minute breakdown that I know you're excited to talk with later. But uh, I do want to talk about another one of our defensive catalysts that kind of makes our roster rotation so, I don't want to say difficult, but it's hard for me as an outsider that doesn't get to watch these guys practice every day to look at what we're doing and know how to fix it easily because Zepp Jasper's defense in that second half was invaluable. Once we were able to get him on to uh, Davis, he was a key part of that defensive run of frustrating him, forcing him to go late in the shot clock and denying him the easy looks that they wanted. Um, but you're right. We just, we know what we're going to get out of him offensively. Uh, two of four on his field goals, five points. That's about the most that I think you can anticipate getting from Zepp Jasper. And in a lot of ways that handicaps us at that two position. Um, and then you have a guy like Chance Westry that's coming in and he had some decent assists. We saw some of that excellent vision that he has. But beyond the assists, offensively, he's a complete non-factor, and he's become a bit of a liability. The, the game speed hasn't picked up for him. He had three great assists, but he also had three turnovers and three bad personal fouls. And, and some of his turnovers were bad, and like freshman, yeah. point guard, bad. They were pressuring him and, and getting you know picking his pocket at times, making real, like in bad moments, making bad passes to people. His The biggest factor isn't even his point guard play necessarily. It's his shooting he was supposed to be a guy that could go get us points and kind of fill in the different gaps from like a Swiss army knife standpoint. Like first it's, it's one thing that he's not a three point shooter. You know, we all kind of hope and dream that he could fill every slot that we needed, but we know for sure now, not a three point guy. Maybe he picks it up later. I don't think he's hit a single three pointer in any of the games he played. I think he's played seven games now, not a single three pointer. He's still shooting them. Oh, three from here. But then also, not just that, we thought, okay, well, maybe he's not a three-point shooter, but he's a backup point guard, and he can drive and get his hard points. 0-5 from the field this game. He looked really lost out there, really like the speed was way too fast for him, like grown men out there with a freshman, and you worry that in SEC play it's going to get even worse when we have top 10 teams to play, and I was hoping it would be the opposite. I was hoping he would thrive amongst the big boys, and that would you know kind of help with the window situation of being small. He's looking, I don't know, I, I think you're going to have to like reset him almost. You're, you know, we, we worried about the turbo thing where he just completely got lost mentally. I don't think Chance is going to get that. But now, like, my whole argument about playing Chance more and playing Johan more, he played eight minutes this game, Chance did, and I got to eat my words a little bit. He would have not learned anything more from this game in those more eight minutes. In fact, it would have been detrimental to his growth, I think, because he was so rattled out there and they just completely 
had his number that if he had played anymore and turned the ball over more, missed more shots, I think he would have gotten in his own head even worse. Yeah, I think it's clear. Matt loves to remind us and our listeners just how special Jabari Smith was as a player. Um, And you've really seen that because Johan and Chance are both very clearly exceptionally talented athletes. They're going to be great basketball players. I have no doubt about that. But their ability to come in and contribute right away, um, I don't think they're not getting minutes because Bruce is trying to protect them mentally. I think they I think they are a liability for this basketball team right now. Um, we're looking at our minute rotation here, and you see Flanagan with 27, Wendell with 32, uh, Janai, Chris Moore, and Jalen all 20-plus minutes. Um, it's all the old guys. It's all the vets that are getting the playing time. The new guys aren't getting out there. Uh, and I think it's because that's that's the only way that this team is going to string together wins. I mean, I'll eat my words again, Matt. You wish you were on this one because, again, with Johan such a non-factor and in my head, I mean, I watched all the other games too, and, and I still saw moments from Johan and Chance where I'm like, let's keep giving them chances to have moments and turn them into like what they actually play like every game. But Johan, again, this one just looked lost out there, non-factor. I don't know. Maybe another rotation we would have seen some flash, but I didn't see a single flash in that 12 minutes, which is really disheartening. And I think, well, maybe I'll have a conversation after these players about, you know, we had these expectations for this team, a top 10 team, top 25 team, but the expectations included Chance Westery and Johan Treor helping out with some of the gaps we were going to miss with Walker and Jabari leaving. I mean, they didn't have to be those two players, but they need to contribute and if it's going to be non-factor Johan and non-factor chance, then this team is going to be a completely, we're going to have to reevaluate what we expect going to SEC play. Maybe we'll have that conversation a bit, or we'll probably definitely do an SEC preview. And I think my thoughts on where this team is going and what they're up for is going to change dramatically now that those freshmen seem to not really be much of a factor. Yeah, we've got uh, four more games for them to really, no, sorry, three more games for them to emerge. Uh, before we start SEC play. And uh, it's going to be tough. I think when you're going to go on the road to the West Coast, you're going to want to be establishing your identity. And it seems to me uh, Memphis is a good basketball team. Uh, They're picked to finish second in their conference behind Houston, who uh, before they just lost to Alabama was the number one team in the country. So Memphis, pretty good program historically, pretty good basketball team this year. Um, But they completely robbed us of any identity as a team. We didn't have any play call or consistently we didn't have any shooters that got into any kind of a rhythm and offensively uh, Memphis kind of got whatever they wanted they were able to run the long play fast breaks they were able to uh, cut in from the wing and get those dishes that we love to see Uh, they didn't bully us too much in the pick and roll but our help defense was not really there on the backside until late 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 in the game Um, you know typically our guards play pretty aggressive on on defense knowing that if their guy gets to the lane we typically have an eraser there and against some of the smaller and less athletic teams, we've had that uh, going into this game and and it just disappeared entirely against Memphis. We can go through a couple more of these guys here. Uh, You know, Wendell had a decent game 14 points. I didn't realize he fouled out five fouls. I don't remember that, but he had four turnovers. That was late. That was late. Yeah. 14 points, five assists, but four turnovers. He was fine. Uh, Let's see. Oh, four from three, which is a big deal. He had a really bad Wendell. Like we need to name these, I think, because there's the window long logo threes that go in and they're amazing. We haven't really seen one in a while, honestly, even going into the la- back of last year. But this time he had no, one of those had... desperation logo threes. There needs to be like yeah. a, a loser three or like a some sort of bad, like 
sink the ship kind of three. It's when we get desperate and we're running around and, and Matt would argue that a lot of times when the point guard has the ball in their hand, has a desperation three. This is not that we got to find, it's not desperation three. It's like a uh, earlier in the shot clock, Wendell decides to shoot a logo three because maybe it'll get us back in the game when we're down 10 and it's just an awful shot. Almost every time, even if it goes in, I'm usually groaning that like that was a bad shot, even though it went in. So we'll have to come up with a name for that. But he's just, yeah, Wendell, he was fine. Wendell's excellent at understanding when he's got that transition three-pointer. Um, you'll see it. He'll see the numbers. He'll see that he's in the spot on the floor he likes to shoot from. And it's in transition usually. But you can also tell that Wendell knows he is uh, he's going to be our guy this year. And we're down 10 with, you know, under five minutes to go. And he decides to pull up early in the shot clock and try to launch a long three-pointer. If he hasn't been hot that night, it, it, it is absolutely a desperation three. It's a heat check on himself. Like, you know, can I, can I suddenly spark us and get us going? Yeah, like that's a good point. We didn't need him to do that last year. And that's what made it so frustrating when he would miss them or, or try to take over a game. This year, now looking up and down this roster and the way we've seen this game, we do need him to make that kind of stuff. It's desperation stuff. It's something we can't really rely on. But when your team's offense is this bad and the rest of the team doesn't really have a go-to guy. And I was thinking this during the broadcast that last year, like one of the announcers were talking about, well, they had a go-to guy in Jabari last year. When things got tough, you could just give it to Jabari and he hit a three, even Walker. You know? And now, now we had this kind of idea, this is a platoon team, but we don't have that go-to guy. But hey, if I'm looking at the silver lining, maybe that's a good thing. Any night could be anybody. Well, it's kind of like in the other sport, if you have like, well, I guess I don't want to use that metaphor because the other sport, but if you don't have one point, <laughs> if you don't have, if you have multiple go-to guys, then you don't have a go-to guy at all. And we don't have a go-to guy, in my opinion, Wendell, like we'd love him, but I don't think he's going to go get those tough points. KD, he knows when to spark the moment he's, but he's not a guy I want to rely on an SEC play in a tough game to go get us a tough two or even a three. I don't think we have a guy on this roster that I feel good about going and getting us points really. No, and it's supposed to be Janai Broom. Um, you know, when Janai Broom has been on, he's the only player on this roster that I could see consistently being in that 20-point range just because we get him so many touches. He touched the ball nine times tonight, again, mostly in the second half. But, you know, five of nine from the field, not terrible. But if you look at the box score, I think that also tells you a huge story. We are a team that is greater than the sum of its parts, in part because we have a lot of guys that can do a lot of things. And there were two more guys tonight that were absolutely crucial uh, in this loss of their ineptitude. That was Jalen Williams and Alan Flanagan. Um, they both had five points apiece. They had, yeah, three personal fouls on Jalen, only one on Flanagan. So Flanagan didn't cost us too much in the in the bad uh, fouls department, which is really nice to see. That seemed to be a, a big struggling factor for him last year. But if both of those guys just double their offensive output, if they both just get to 10 points and get to that double digits, we win 83-82. Um, that's a little bit of a weird projection. But still, you can just kind of see the, the amount of value we need to get out of their minutes in order for this team to be successful. Nobody here has to be a superstar. You know, we don't need one of our guards to go off for 25 points, six assists and seven rebounds. We just need everybody to do their job at a consistent level. And I do think that makes it harder as a basketball team, because it's not one little thing that really beat us. It was kind of death by a thousand cuts. It was a miss here, a turnover there, um, uh, 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 getting out of our set here. Uh, a turnover or a missed shot that turned into a fast break the other way. And before you know it, you're down eight points. And this is not a team that feels like they understand yet how to dig themselves out of that kind of hole. Maybe, maybe that's a good point. You know, we didn't have, I was kind of making a point that no one stepped up and maybe 
you can kind of expect in this roster that at least every night someone's going to step up. But really this game, and maybe, maybe there isn't somebody that needs to step up every time. Maybe we just need a certain percentage of our players to play well every time. You need 80% of these guys to just have a good game, an average to good game for them. And tonight we just had a avalanche of mediocre performances altogether to where our percentage of players having a, a decent game was too low. And that's why we lost the game. Maybe, you know, we're talking about Jalen. I miss Cancun Jalen. Atlanta Jalen <laughs> is nowhere near as fun as Cancun Jalen. I got to, I missed a little bit of that stuff, but I I, I didn't think that was going to project out. Honestly, his playing Cancun. I, I hoped it would have, uh, but he's just going to be kind of inconsistent. He's still, hunting for these floaters and these hook shots. He's just, I think I'm about to, I'm going to give up on it. He's a senior already. I'm going to give up on the fact that he's a big dude. He's playing the power forward position and he doesn't seem to know how to bang bodies down low and get that tough two through a foul. He seems to love to do the little kind of within the paint, but on the outside. And he's always, instead of, he always, always makes the choice instead of going into the body of the defender and going at those two, he goes, away from the body every time he'll back somebody down or dribble in and then when he goes to get his shot it's always fading away from the basket instead of into the basket johan in those moments that he did look like he had a spark was the opposite and that's what i want to see i want to see a guy leaning into the defender to get those shots if we're going to talk about yeah, it's interesting playing, that the, yeah it, it's the biggest guys on our team that seem the most contact diverse uh you've got guys like wendell and kd that have no problem crashing into the lane putting their body on the line and getting to the free throw stripe Whereas, you know, Flanagan had two free throws tonight. Jalen shot zero. And that kind of tells you that, you know, these are Allen's six foot six, Jalen's six foot eight. These are big guys, big bodies. You want to crash and, and really work inside. Um, and a little bit of that was the zone that Memphis played tonight. They kept us from being able to easily get the ball into the lane and get those one-on-ones they, that we wanted. Uh, again, credit to Memphis's defense. They were swarming. They were disciplined and they made us work for every basket that we got. I think you made a great point on, on Flanagan. And I've heard this on other kind of podcasts or comments online. That is a huge factor that Flanagan is no longer causing bad turnovers and bad fouls. We talked about for the season, how frustrating it was to watch him last year. Cause we kind of came in. I was one of his biggest stands. So he's going to come in being an NBA guy. He's going to be the guy we needed. And then we found out, no, He's not even what he was before. He's not even what he was freshman year. He's like a detriment to the team with fouls and turnovers and charges and bad shots. This year he comes back again. We go, okay, I hope, is he going to come back frustrated again? Is he going to come back being a team player? What's he going to do? I give him one shout out. Maybe he's not being an NBA guy or guy that's getting us tough points or whatever, but he's definitely improved a lot, even by getting just five points and one of three from three, because he's hitting open threes. I've noticed a lot. When he he's got, oh yeah, they're, they're daring him to shoot that open three, and he's hitting them, which is great. I don't think I, you know, one of three. I don't think he's like going to solve our three point problem. I just love seeing our guys hit open threes because we don't always do it. But the fact that he's not taking charges, taking turnovers, making bad passes, like all that stuff, is really a great sign. And honestly, maybe if you're looking for silver lining on some of these players and like what we're projecting out, and you know, I, I think Chance and Johan should be those guys that hopefully are improving every game. Maybe in his fourth year, Alan Flanagan can improve coming into SEC play. I think he might have like that extra jump he could take in SEC play. And I, I mean, if we want to finish up players here, then maybe we can get into let's let's finish up one more player and then let's get into silver linings. Cause I think you oh, know, yeah, on sure. a sad podcast, you know, we can maybe try to, <laughs> you know, we're, we're learning the format here, guys. Cause you know, last year we didn't do many lost podcasts. And I think, uh, 
we're kind of stumbling upon, you know, I think this would be good for lost podcast. We'll always have a section maybe for like positive things, but I think the last oh, yeah. player to talk about, I mean, maybe somebody else on the bench, but I think Chris Moore is super interesting with 12 points, uh, two of two from three, someone on Twitter, he's called him three Mo, which I really liked. And he's been <laughs> yeah, really okay. consistent from three and it's just, it, you know, he's still starting, which I think we all thought chance would take that position with that's not going to happen now. Then we thought Flanagan might take that position. Still hasn't happened. Now, Flanagan is playing more minutes than Chance, or sorry, Chris Moore almost every game. So there's a chance they'll change that up. But I think there's a good chance that the reason Bruce is doing that is so when his second platoon comes in, he's got a guy that has a little more offensive oomph than Chris Moore. And if he switches it the other way around, that second platoon lineup does not have enough guys that can shoot. So I think he's thinking he's going to have like basically two starting lineups and he just switches out which players can be those go-getters. But Chris Moore, man, shout out. He gets some tough points. He gets those threes. He just kind of is consistently, we've kind of consistently gotten to the box score and seen the Chris Moore numbers and gone, huh, pretty nice. You know, and and that's all you want from that. The only one weird thing for him is he, man, can we put Chris Moore's mentality into Jalen Williams? Because he goes and tries to get those really tough points down low from a rebound or just trying to put his body down there put his shoulder down and go get those points. And he gets blocked too many times, pretty consistently. You wish you could like with the size of the bodies, you could switch the little hook shot thing to Chris Moore and put the body lower, the shoulder lowering Jalen Williams. Oh yeah. So that, that actually transitions really nicely into what was going to be one of my real positive takeaways from tonight. Um, Chris Moore is one of those guys we've talked about all year. He's, he's meant to be a role player. Part of how you can see Bruce evolving these rotations is he wants his guys to understand who the offensive focus is on the first rotation and on the second rotation. You know, if Matt was here, he loves to say there's only one basketball. So when you're starting out a game, you want to establish some kind of offensive identity, and then you need a bunch of guys out there that can play tough physical defense. So you look at our starting five, Janai Broom, Chris Moore, Jalen Williams, Wendell Green, Zepp Jasper. I expect those five to start from now until the end of the season because you understand very clearly who are my scorers in that first group. You want to get the ball inside to Janai Broom, or you want to shoot outside with Wendell Green, two really clearly easily defined roles. And you have three excellent on-ball defenders, pretty good rebounders. So you can kind of get your identity going at the start of a game. And the problems for us in our games where we've struggled and in the games that we, we lost is that we weren't able to get our scorers in that first rotation, Janai and Wendell, established. So we don't really have an identity for that second team to come into. But one of the things that's been working really well, uh, kind of quietly, because it, it, it's unusual for Auburn, for our big guys to be the ones that are doing all these three-point shots, but is this rotation between the three and four position uh, as the guys that we're manufacturing our three-point looks from. Uh, a lot of times it's late in the shot clock when Kendall, uh, uh, Wendell or KD are throwing up their three-pointers. But we are calling plays to get Chris Moore and Jalen Williams and Alan Flanagan, the ball on the wing with an open three-point look. And tonight, the guys crushed it. They were five of seven from behind the three-point arc. That's fantastic percentage. Chris Moore on the year is shooting 54%, almost 55% from three. That is outstanding for a guy that you want to be a role player. Um, He's averaging 17 minutes a game right now, shooting 50% from the floor. He's actually shooting better from three than he is overall. Uh, You know, my favorite stat, he's shooting 82% from the charity stripe, which is just huge because that seems to be where he does most of his damage. 
And when he gets into double digits, it's because he's banging inside and he's getting himself to the line. So I think if we can continue to see more play like that out of a Jalen Williams, out of an Alan Flanagan, both of whom I think offensively have a little bit more talent than Chris Moore does, um, that's going to be the difference in whether or not we win or we get kind of steamrolled. You you wonder, you know, I don't want to project too much out with Chris Moore off this this you know, game and, and some of the past ones, but I have been surprisingly happy with the Chris Moore experiment. I mean, we thought he might just transfer out, you know, and ha- we'd have chance and Alan Flanagan in there. I mean, he's probably my main guy that I was like, yep, Chris Moore will not be on this team the next year. Here he is doing pretty well. And honestly, if he could develop a little jump shot, I think he'd be doing pretty well. He's got the three down, he's banging down low, and maybe it's not perfect down low, but if he could develop a little jump shot, I think that could be something. And maybe, maybe you know, he's got another year or two left. So, Maybe something to look into. Maybe another kind of glue guy if Flanagan leaves or something. So, any other yeah. silver lining you're looking at? You know, yeah, a lot I, of this stuff I, is not looking great, but I, I think we can we can mine a little gold for some positive news. You know, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I remember I wasn't able to watch the whole game start to finish. Um, I was watching long stretches of it, and I was convinced that Memphis had been turning us over just a ton because of how much they were running. Um, but it turned out what they were doing was. Uh, just getting into their offensive sets extremely quickly. Guys were flying down the floor and they were trying to throw a lot of those long balls. Um, we actually won the turnover batter battle. We forced 19 turnovers and only had 15 ourselves. So we took pretty good care of the basketball. So in a big way, you can say that we didn't really beat ourselves in this game. You know, we hit our free throws pretty well. Um, we weren't great from three, but that's kind of our identity. And our percentage went way down in garbage time. And we were trying to desperately make a comeback. Um, we didn't turn the ball over too much. We didn't commit a ton of silly fouls. I think a more talented team that just wanted a little bit better and might have a little bit more cohesion. Uh, they just came in and they played hard and they beat us. I think maybe one little silver line, if I'm, if I'm trying to find something here in a, in a game, that's kind of dark. I mean, one, another one, we only lost by nine in a game we played really bad. So that, that's one, but it's Memphis. So I don't, I don't think they're great, but the other one maybe is, uh, Dylan Cardwell continues to play pretty well, uh, with Jonai Broom playing as bad as he's playing it's kind of like almost taken away from how well Cardwell is playing because we kind of Dylan's looking great for a backup and I think we have like expectations for him because we've seen how far he's grown and so you're like oh man like now I wish you could step up even more because we actually really need him to step up did seven points five rebounds and I, he hit this little jump shot that was great that you just you're oh, just yeah. seeing like three years into his career how much he's grown over three years and you hope he sticks around for five so that you really see like that end game of like, like maybe eventually it slumps off and he can only get so much better, but every year he's gotten the same kind of percentage better. And you're hoping if he can continue that, he seems to have the work ethic for it, the attitude for it seems to enjoy playing the game of basketball and understanding what kind of privilege that is. So you just hope that maybe even through sec play, we see some improval or some improvement, but I think that's about it for our silver linings, unless you have anything else. And I think maybe we could look at some fan comments here. Yeah, let's hear from the fans. Yeah, we we, we kind of we usually do this uh, podcast right after the game. And so we don't really have a chance to like ask people what they think about what happened or anything like that. But uh, this time we had to do it the next morning for conflict of schedules and things. So anyways, I asked, what do you guys think is the one reason we lost the game? Kyle Kin said, Junai was scared to rebound interesting yeah i don't know if he was scared or not but he did look tentative out there uh let's see caleb williams og caleb williams big fan i'm a big fan of caleb williams 
He seems to be a big fan <laughs> of the podcast. It's mutual. He said, Memphis seemed to dominate the rebounds of both sides of the court. Totally agreed. That's what we talked about at the start of the show. Yeah, that, that bears out in the box score, too. Yeah, I mean, I we were out-rebounded by 11 overall, um, 14 to 11 in offensive rebounds, and then 29 to 21 in defensive rebounds. Just not Auburn basketball. Here's one for you, Ben. I'll let you answer what you think about this one. Sam Smalley, he seems to be pretty down on this team. He got another message, I think. I'll, re- I'll see if I can find it about just being very upset at the future of this team. But he said, I believe it boils down to talent. We lack the talent to run BP system at the highest level. I think that's an interesting take. What do you think? Yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with the maturity of this roster. Um, it's hard to argue with Bruce Pearl's ability to accrue talent. Our, our roster is loaded with four and five star guys right now. You know, Auburn is in such a better place than it has been before. Um, but it's interesting. I, I, we're going we're gonna to learn a lot about Bruce Pearl this season. I think this is one of the least talented and least organized teams he's had in the last five years since Auburn has kind of had some actual real expectations around their basketball team. And I think it's clear offensively what we've done through these first nine games is not going to win us a lot of basketball games. I think we might get to 20 wins. You know, we'll probably make the tournament, but I think we'd be looking at an early exit. Um, we're going to learn a lot about Bruce and a lot about this coaching staff. If he can figure out a way to get this team to manufacture 80 points consistently, I think that's what it's going to take for us to win a lot of games. I think the floor talent wise is higher than it's been in a long time. I think the floor of it is, is pretty high. The ceiling is lower than usual. We don't have a star player. We've had a star player. Even in 2020, we had Sharif Cooper for 11 games for that. We had the Bryce Browns, the Jared Harpers and all that. That 2019-2020 team is a team I keep going back to, but that had Samir Doughty, and he played so well that year. We don't have a Samir Doughty on this team, so I think uh, the talent – I think an interesting part of that talent comment about the BP system. What is the BP system at this point? We even interviewed Bruce about the BP system. We thought the BP system was that transition, run fast, defense, with a ton of three-point shooting, a lot of small guards running around, and we've just completely flipped it now. With these big centers we've had, I think we just got another recruit that's a huge center, and so you oh, yeah. wonder like, what is the BP system anymore? So that's your first your first kind of question. Like, so once you figure out what you think the BP system is, then you have to say, all right, do we meet the talent to do that? So if we go back to what we thought the BP system was with the three point shooting and the transition, yeah, I think that might be right. We don't have the talent because we don't have the three point shooters, and we've been saying that for a couple of years now. Where are the three-point shooters? Like, we got and so we used don't... to the Bryce Brown, Jared Harper days and the Samir Dowdy even days. We were like, oh, my God, we should be shooting a 1,000 threes and making a ton of them and doing this whole amazing transition three thing. But we haven't had a three-point shooter in a while. So I'll give you some props on that. We don't have the talent from three to play that system. And then if we're going to play the other system where we got some of these centers and we're still playing this tenacious defense and turnovers, you, know, I, you may be right. We don't have the Jonai Broom guy playing super well. So... Yeah, I don't know. That, that's my thoughts on that. Any other thoughts on the talent? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think if, you're, if your vision of Bruce Pearl's uh, system, quote-unquote, is the Flying Tigers, I don't know that it's necessarily talent. Uh, measuring basketball talent is a strange thing because, you know, if you're a seven-foot guy, you're going to be able to score on a lot of people and look like you're really talented, but you may not have sound fundamentals. Um, we don't look like an athletic team. I don't know if there's a if, if there's a right way to describe that, but you know I've, I've mentioned this this year that Katie looks like the only real athlete that we have out there. Uh, Memphis crashed in from the wings for easy dishes, easy rebound and putbacks all night, and they ran 
up and down the floor. We talked a lot early in the season about how we thought we had 11 guys and we were just going to wear teams down with the ability to send fresh body at you over and over and over again. We didn't look fresh tonight, but more importantly, we didn't look fast. We looked extremely slow, extremely heavy. Um, we've talked about that a lot in regards to Janai Broom, how it doesn't look like he's up to speed yet. And same thing, honestly, for Chance and Johan. It, you know, it looks like they're moving through a little bit of molasses out there. They're just a step behind, a step slow. And if you're used to watching a Bruce Pearl team, that's the, the high-flying Tigers, the aerial dunks, the, the fast breaks, we haven't seen that once this year. Another guy, Will Hethcock, said guard play. I, I think there's some things to blame on the guards, but I, I really think in the paint was a bigger deal. Uh, you yeah, know, for the, sure. You could blame a lot of this on a lot of different stuff. I think uh, Jay Lowry, he's got a long comment, so maybe I'll have to mention it on uh, later. But he, the one thing he did say at the end was that he still loves the Auburn Tigers, and this isn't the Tony <laughs> Barbie team. And I got to say, no, it yes, is not. We need to set expectations sometimes, and maybe you know, I like to go. I think Matt likes to go and remind people that how much better we are than we used to be. Sometimes I go the opposite and say, we're aiming for championships. We should expect a lot, but there's some, there's a middle ground there and a game like this. Just remember we had, we got upset. There was not even a chance to be upset when we had Tony oh, Barbie yeah. around. I oh, think yeah. I had one. And the other on... thing to keep in mind. Oh, well, I was just going to say just one thing about that, because as we're moving forward, we talked about this. If you listen to our season preview, we, were, we weren't really sure what the actual ceiling of this team was going to be because we brought in so much talent and so many new guys that seemed like they were going to fill this old system. And I think we knew pretty early on last year, based on the way that we lost games, but more importantly, the way that we won them, that uh, that that last year's team was a championship caliber team. And they did it. They won the regular season SEC championship. Um, I don't think that's a ceiling for this team. I think, number one, the SEC is better than it's been in a very long time. We got six teams in the top 25 right now. Um, you know, Alabama's playing really well. Arkansas is continuing to recruit well. Mississippi State, very quietly, one of the last undefeated teams left. Um, Kentucky and Tennessee always put together quality squads. Um, they're always going to be difficult teams to win against. But I think this could be a team, if they can find an offensive identity, that at the very least could win the SEC tournament and maybe get to the Sweet 16. But if you want to temper your expectations, I think that's the place to do it. I don't think this is a regular season championship type thing, type team. Oh, yeah, totally agree. Uh, the last one was uh, from the E2C Network. Shout out. Uh, go listen to Matt's episode on the E2C uh, podcast family. And uh, he said rebounds. Look at that differential. Totally agree. Yep. Uh, now, if we want to get into uh, a little round the league, got about five minutes to talk about maybe some of these sec opponents we got coming up and then i think maybe we start with our big west coast tour we have georgia state at home before we kick off this big west coast tour which can't take the georgia state game for granted after losing this memphis one the way we did hopefully we bounce back there and hopefully we're not i'm not eating my words in the georgia state podcast for kind of jumping over them a bit but then after that we have at usc and at washington and i have the usc schedule up and the washington schedule up they've been a little all over the place so we don't really know what to expect I do know one thing to expect, how bad we've played traditionally over the years away from Auburn Arena or Neville Arena now and how bad we played the Memphis game too. So just, you know, any away victory, no matter what the victory number is, if we win 48-47 like we did against Northwestern, amazing because we just, away is really tough, even if it's a, like it's probably like a 10-point cushion or something. And yeah, it's they, a big they, trip. It's a huge time zone change. And I, I don't, I think you're right to say we're not going to learn a whole lot about the identity of this team on that trip. Um, road games are always going to be a slog. We don't really know what the identity of this USC team is. Uh, they were picked pretty highly in the Pac-12 at the beginning of the year. Um, Washington's a middle-of-the-road team, but again, we're having to go to Seattle to play them. 
So, you know, if we win it, it's great for us. They're both going to be quad one wins, I expect. I, dis- um, I disagree with you a bit. I think if we win both away games against USC and Washington, no matter how good you think USC or Washington is, that will be huge for us. Like when we have to play all these other away games in the SEC, if we know we could go to USC and go to Washington and win those games, tough games probably to win, probably some slugfest to win, that would be huge in my opinion. No matter how we win them, no matter what players step up, just the idea that we can win away against P5 teams would be a big deal for me right now with my kind of tempered expectations. Okay. I, I see I'm placing a little bit more value on the Georgia State game because we're looking ahead at two very big opponents. It's going to be a big travel trip. This is our last time back at home before we start conference play. And we're coming off a pretty bad loss. Um, what did we learn? What is this team going to look like? What is the practice going to look like around the holiday season? You know, it's finals time. School's wrapping up. There's a lot of distractions going on. This is a game that would be easy to overlook and a game that we could very easily still with five minutes to go be battling for a win. And that's going to tell me a lot more about the character of this team than how they do on the West Coast. Just personally, we might we might win by 20 again and not, you know, not learn anything. I hope we win by 20, not learn anything. I think I think for (laughs) Georgia State, the the thing will be we got punked in this Memphis game. We got outran, out defensed, out energized out there. Hopefully this is a good bounce back against Georgia State where we go out there and run all over on Neville Arena and kind of remind ourselves who we're supposed to be after we got punked in that Memphis game. And that hopefully gives us the confidence to do the same thing at USC and Washington. Uh, USC, if you want to get any kind of taste of how good these teams are, they've, they've, they've gone back and forth. They lost to Florida Gulf Coast in Los Angeles. So I, there's, I think there's the first game of their year. So that's a big upset. But they also took Tennessee, top 10 Tennessee, to overtime in the battle for Atlantis. Shout out Lee Miller. They also lost to Wisconsin. But, uh, you know, so they're a little all over the place. And then Washington had a similar kind of all over the place. They lost to California Baptist in Seattle at home, which is another crazy upset. But they've had some decent oh, yeah. wins in here, too, against Colorado. They lost to Gonzaga, 60-77. to 77. They lost to Oregon State, 65-66 by one point. That's There's some super early Pac-12 play going on over here. Washington's played Oregon State and Colorado already, both in the Pac-12. So that's interesting. But they both, you know, up and down. I don't think either of these teams are great we're playing against, but they might be tournament teams. I don't know. But I think just any kind of win away, if we can pull up 2-0, and I'm going to be really excited for the, the grittiness of this team. If we go 1-2, and I'll be like, all right, we got we, we pulled one off up there. We're going to be fine. We go 0-2 oh, away, I'm going to be a little worried that we might lose all our away games in the SEC and then we're going to have to pull off a lot of great home wins to like be the team we hope we can be. Yeah, and last thing for today's pod, looking around the league, uh, the SEC is pretty deep this year. As it stands right now, no team is below 500. Uh, our worst two teams are Vanderbilt and South Carolina. They're at four and four and five and five. But uh, we got a lot of teams sitting at eight and one. We got Mississippi State up there at eight and zero. Oh. Uh, don't look now, but the Georgia Bulldogs seven and three. You know they're stringing some wins together there. The Missouri coach, Tigers, Mike White. Yeah, new, new coach down there. The Missouri Tigers, a team that very nearly uh, broke our streak last year on their home court. A quiet nine and one to start and the year. I think I think their one loss is Kansas too. Yeah. I mean, they got, they got, they got pretty punked by Kansas. I think, I think um, the big, I think the big talking point with these sec guys, uh, Kentucky's lost two games. And so they've fallen back out of their pedestal as being like a top 10 could win the national championship team. They might still figure that out, but we have this like little grouping of top 10 teams of number seven, Tennessee, number eight, Alabama, number nine, Arkansas, that are all kind of vying for that. Who's going to be the hype 
team this year in the SEC. I mean, Arkansas got a ton of love. Tennessee always seems to get a, a ton of love with Rick Barnes. They've had some decent wins this year. The biggest note is that Alabama has won some really big games against yes, number one have. Houston at number one Houston yesterday, which is super frustrating. I believe they won maybe against number one North Carolina before North Carolina lost four in a row and fell out of the top 25. Uh, I, I would temper, you know, I think we'll be like upset that Alabama was doing so well again after they fought, they kind of fell off last year. But I would also temper that they did this exact same thing last year. They beat some really good out-of-conference teams and then look mediocre in the SEC. So all we can hope is we do our business. They've clearly like figured out something in out-of-conference and they you got to play the number one team to beat the number one team. We have no idea. I know our team's been struggling, but we have no idea what kind of factors would factor in. If we just played, if we got two chances at number one teams in that conference, we might've pulled one of those off too. We just got to play oh, yeah. those kind of teams to get them. So I, I would love to see us have a little more aggressive scheduling like that, because all you really get is wins out of this. I can't name Alabama's loss, but I can name their wins. And that's what matters in that conference really, unless you lose to like a long Island city, whatever, like unless you lose somebody bad, then no one talks right. about it. If you lose to another top 25 team, no one cares. But if you beat a number one team or no top 25, team, everybody's talking about it. So that's, it's like a win-win situation, honestly. Yeah, the, the, the beauty of basketball is your wins matter so much more than your losses. But uh, one thing to keep in mind as we creep ever closer to conference play, Auburn had pretty low expectations this year. Part of why we have that 11 next to our name is just because we hadn't lost yet. And there are now only, I believe, seven undefeated teams left in Division One college basketball. So we're, we're, we're going to drop a little bit in the rankings, uh, having that one loss now. But uh, we don't have the same target on our back that we did last year. You know, the expectations are really heavy for Arkansas with their back-to-back Elite Eights. You know, Alabama always talking trash. And, you know, they got a couple of marquee wins for their program this year. So a lot of these teams now, instead of trying to knock us off, they're going to be trying to use us to try to catapult themselves even further. And that puts a lot of pressure on their programs. Whereas this year, you know, we're, we're expected to be, I think, fourth in the league, fourth or fifth in the league somewhere, you know. Uh, so we don't have the expectations that we did the year before where everybody was looking for us to be their marquee win. So I, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out going forward. Yeah, maybe we embrace that plucky underdog, upset these teams kind of attitude after we had a lot of pressure last year. And I'll say one one last thing, we'll sign it off because Sam Smalley did see, send some backup to his uh, we don't have enough <laughs> talent. So I feel bad if I didn't, you know, we argued that and that didn't bring up his little factor. He, he sent over an interesting stat of uh, SEC rosters with top 100 players in them. Alabama has seven of those, UK, six, UT, five, Arkansas, five, LSU, five, Auburn, four. So there is there is a lot more top 100 talent in some of these teams. So we recruit pretty well. I don't think this counts. Maybe maybe this counts transfers too. I wonder if some of these guys like a Wendell Green and a Joe Nye Broom would have been a top 100 guy if you, you kind of like went from the transfer portal and talked about top 100 players in college basketball from the transfer portal standpoint. So something to talk about there. Good backup, Sam. Thanks for sending that over. Uh, I mean, frustrating loss in this one. We knew we'd lose some at a con or maybe we didn't know we really, I thought we were going to get that land. Honestly, I thought maybe there's a chance. I definitely didn't think we were going to lose before USC and Washington, but you know, it is what it is. I hope you guys learned something from this podcast. Hope you kind of grieved with us over a loss. Hopefully we don't have to do too many of these to where we have a great, you know, format, but we'll see. Matt, Ben, any last thoughts? Keep watching the basketball game, boys. We got a lot of, got a lot of learning, a lot of growing to do. Yeah. All right, guys. War Eagle, thanks for coming and listening. War Eagle.